Welcome to the Tech Talk Show, an hour of news, views and discussion. Well, welcome to the show and uh, I'm joined with Dan. Hi Dan, how are you doing? Good afternoon, Steve. Uh, coming up in the show, we've got Nigel Wally from Chimney mm-hmm. and we've got Francois Mazoudier from Croydon Tech Hub, which is a quite an interesting uh, pre-record interview by Sue Nelson. Yep. And then we're going to go to the phone and speak to James Haywood from Lincoln Security, Dan. Yeah. But first, as always, as always, we're going to have some news. So we what are. have you got for me? So I've got this. Is, I think this is quite an interesting one. Um, Disney has its own research lab, which I didn't know. Really? Yeah. An experimental technology division called Disney Research. Um, and they've funct- um, created a functional wireless power delivery system. So they have this room set up um, with a load of sort of cables in the walls and, and things like that. Yeah. And um, it can, um, using electronic, um, using a um, magnetic field, it can charge devices within the room. So as long as they've got this appropriate receiving coil put on them, it can charge anything from um, a smartphone, a lamp, radio-controlled car. And they're calling it um, quasi-static um, cavity resonance. That's a catchy name, Nigel, it is, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Which cavity is, resonance. Cavity yeah. resonance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they're, they're using that to, do, to charge um, up to 10 devices at a time, just sitting around in the room. No, no wires or anything. So what must the magnetic field be like in that room? Do you think that's safe? It's probably a bit like sitting in a microwave, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. You Maybe. have to worry about the impact on your body sitting in that room. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah, I think that that would be a bit of a concern for me. Maybe not to go in there with a pacemaker or something like that. Or oh, that would, uh, yeah, that would uh, have a, an effect. Yeah. So anyway, um, I've got a good one. I always love a drone story. So <laughs> I'm going to drone on about a drone. Um, UPS delivery. Uh, have a slight glitch at their launch event. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah. oh yeah. So we love a failure. It's always good, <laughs> isn't it? So one aircraft <laughs> failed to... Basically, what they've got is a delivery lorry, their normal UPS, you know, delivery thing. And actually, what they've kitted it out is the roof has got drones on the roof. So the driver can take a, a very zigzag route and launch the drone with the parcel as he drives along and then pick it up later. So the lorry's like an aircraft carrier. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The USS Enterprise or something. Yeah, so, and um, what they did is they actually launched a couple as a test. And uh, the problem was, is that one aircraft failed to launch, and the, and then the second one was nearly destroyed. And the other snag in their uh, their little plan there, their research and development and innovation, is that, the law in Florida says you've got to be in sight of any drone to fly it. So actually, <laughs> it completely negates yeah. the benefit of this sort of drone technology. So, yeah. What else you got for us, Dan? Um, so, um, Amazon. Um, they have the Fire TV stick that lots of people use for streaming things to their TV. Um, they're adding um, a Alexia remote control to it. So, um, from um, April, I think from April the 6th, you're going to be able to control your TV um via um, voice commands. Really? Yeah. That's quite good. I've got one. Yeah, Nigel. Uh, I've actually got the Amazon Echo at home and uh, an Amazon Fire. Right, Um, okay. And I was very disappointed at Christmas because when Clarkson's show first launched, the Grand Tour, we couldn't tell the um, Amazon Fire to play it. We couldn't say, Alexa, Hmm, play play Clarkson. It it wouldn't talk to it. So what they're doing is actually backfilling a bit of tech failure. Their two Mm. major bits of tech didn't talk to each other when they they launched. Own goal. I've got an Echo story, actually. And this is really, (laughs) really a bit bit Big Brother-ish. In America, 
they're trying to subpoena um, in a murder case an echo to actually download what has been spoken in the room when the murder took place. Ooh. Now, this took place in two, November 2015, and it involves a death in a hot tub. <laughs> yeah, obviously, never go in a hot tub, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been in a hot tub before? Uh, I have, yeah. Yeah, I could just see you. <laughs> <laughs> Reclining. Reclining yeah. nicely in a hot tub. Yeah. Anyway. There's, um, a, there's an image. Yes. Yeah, well, you needed the light we had last oh, week. That was, that that was, was something special. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's nothing like a bit of love tech, is there? <laughs> anyway. That's a whole different industry. Yeah, yeah. Nigel, we'll, um, we'll, sh- we'll talk about that off air <laughs> later. Um, so, basically... Um, lawyers for Amazon filed a motion last week asking a judge to throw out the request for Echo Data to be handed over. Um, And so we will see. I heard a a TV exec talking about this very thing last night, and he had discovered um, that Amazon keeps a WAV file, like an audio recording of everything that's said um, to um, the Echo Mm. and everything around it. And he discovered that his five-year-old daughter had basically been abusing um, Alexa saying, uh, shouting at her when he wasn't in the room. So he had an audio record of his child's bullying of, of the, <laughs> their first robot and had to sit down with her and uh, discuss the ethics of abusing a robot Alexa, with a five-year-old. Alexa has feelings too. Yeah, mm. it, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? This this whole thing because I think there was a there was a case in the US where um, uh, the uh, CIA wanted to access the iPhone of a, That's of a suspected right. terrorist. Yeah, there was, and there's, yeah. there's been a court case running actually mm. over that mm. over that very factor, isn't it? Yeah, there's that sort of, um, you know, personal data safety. Lots of, co- you know, commercial companies want to keep that safe, but security agencies want to access it. Well, everything's recorded. We know that. So anything you do, anything you send, receive, everything you say, there yeah. are records of it. I'm so, worried now. Dan, yeah, be very, very worried. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yep. so we are joined by Nigel Wally. And Nigel, your company is called Chimney. Good morning. Good yeah. morning. Well, good, oh, good afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it is yeah. afternoon, isn't it? Um, tell us, first of all, how you came to set up Chimney. Yeah, so we are a um, effectively an operating system for your house, which sounds terribly grandiose, but actually it starts off in quite a modest way. Right. Um, when I bought my house about three or four years ago, I suddenly realised how many people had some information about my house, some data on their servers or some drawings um, that I didn't have access to. Right. Um, and there was there was loads and loads of paperwork I was meant to keep records of that I didn't have copies of. And so I got one of the juniors in, in um, the office just to write, go and do a survey. How much information exists about my house out there that I don't currently have access to and, and control of? And they came back with this massive list. And it struck us that it would be much better as a householder to, to have either access or control of all that in a nice, simple place. Yeah. And then an estate agent friend said to me that it takes, on average – four to six weeks for somebody who's selling their house to get all the relevant paperwork into a, into, into yeah. a form. They can give it to the lawyers. Um, and it's dawned on us that as, we, as we're all kind of suffering under this digital revolution that, that's being kind of lamped on us, that as a homeowner, you're, you have the least control over this stuff. So Chimney, at its simplest, is a very clever filing system where you can store every single certificate, warranty, guarantee, plan permission, building control certificate, gas certificate, with a nice templated system. Um, it basically takes all that junk we've got in the filing cabinet in the room upstairs. Yeah. And I say that phrase, and everyone yeah, nods. Yeah. We, yeah. We've all got that filing yeah, cabinet I have, somewhere. I, very, um, I yeah. actually went through house sale. A little while ago, and in fact, the sale never went through. But I must have spent hours yeah. trying to find the documents I needed to send off. 
But well, our vision is to get that down to an hour. You press a button, and your chimney app spits out every a copy of every certificate, planning permission, bit of pa- every bit of paper the lawyer could possibly ask you. Yeah. And it's about changing the culture of how we manage our home. There's lots of people out there talking about smart homes of the future and internet of things, and we'll all get there eventually. Yes. But our, our kind of insight behind chimney is that we all need to go that that first step, which is just sort out our filing. Yeah. I mean, one thing that really uh, we'll do unboxing later, and we'll do that, but. Actually, we hate instruction manuals. Ah. So we always throw them away, don't <laughs> yeah, we? we do, no, no. Yeah. But yeah. every time you buy something new for your house, it comes with an absolute yeah. hideous multi-language book, whereas actually probably only two pages relate to you. Mm. Wouldn't it be great if I could just store everything somewhere? Would that be yeah. possible? Exactly that. Um, so for every single item in your house, whether it's a washing machine, a central heating system, you'll have um, a guarantee, a warranty, you'll have an instruction manual, you'll have a maintenance plan. And our idea is to go in a couple of steps to getting that fully digitized. So step one is just to get it all into PDFs and stored somewhere where you can find it if you need it. Yeah. Step two, which we'll all get to at some point in the future, is for that stuff to be on a cloud. Because all you really need for your maintenance man, you don't need 50 pages of foreign jargon. You need a, you need a web link to the relevant page yeah. on their website. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we, we, we'll all get there in stages. Because also there must be a cost saving there for the actual uh, supplier of whatever tech it is. Yeah, sure. In terms of, you know, no print cost. And here's... here's or you log on to your, your chimney and say, right, I've now bought this model, this serial yep. number. Is that going to be possible? Exactly. And we, we want people to be able to store the, the product number, the warranty, the, yep. the receipts from where the shop they bought it, um, and to have that all accessible to an app on your phone. Yeah. Um, and, and to have all that information just to hand, because other people have got the information that we that it's about our home or about our kit, and that's, that's actually our information. Yeah. And, and the problem's going to get worse because we're very slowly adding things into our homes like British Gas Hive or mm-hmm. Google Nest. Some, some of this new tech that's arriving is creating data that's being dragged out of our house and given to other people. So, so you know, Google is amassing huge amounts of data about whoever's got a nest in their house, yeah. and the homeowner doesn't have access to the information. So what we're trying to say is, look, let's start with basic principles but we'll just move to the point where any data that's created for your house, by your house, or around your house, or your, your home, whatever it is, mm. should be your data, should be accessible by you. And most importantly, you should be able to build a record over time. So in 10 years' time, if you go to flog your, your flat or your house, you should have a 10-year data record that you can hand over to the next owner. Yeah, I mean, we were at, uh, I was at IoT uh, Expo a uh, month or so ago, and uh, one of the big things there is Internet of Things is not about it's not about joining stuff up. Actually, it's feeding back to manufacturers how people are using their products. That's one of the key elements of having smart devices is those smart devices know when they're switched on, switched off, how they're used, when they're used. And actually, that data's going back. Yeah, it's all going the wrong direction. Yeah, so our is, homes yeah. are surrounded by these companies who are kind of rapaciously sucking data out of our house yeah. for their own ends and yeah. their own insight. Yeah. And as homeowners sitting in the middle, we don't get access to no, it. No, no. And also, what, what do people know about me and how are they accessing my devices? I mean, we had that massive hack you know, just before Christmas mm. where Absolutely. you know thousands and thousands of devices were overta- taken over to make a supercomputer. And that was, you know, toasters and fridges and washing machines were used for that particular purpose because people hadn't updated the firmware or changed the factory password uh, yeah and a lot of them haven't got firmware then that's that's the thing that that they 
you know, it's not like your computer where you can upload. These are anonymous or, or you know, unaccessible, mm. you know. And last year, I don't think we had this culture yet of looking at the data that gets sucked out of our house. It will come. We'll all get used to doing mm. that. I don't know if you remember last year, one of the smart TV manufacturers got in trouble because um, a British um, techie put a meter on his um, his router and he saw that his smart telly, which How was just an internet yeah, telly, yeah. Not, it, it was pulling loads of data about what he was using. And he created um, some dummy files on a memory stick um, as though he had a kid's name. And, and, and he put the, the memory stick into the, the smart telly. Um, and he saw the file names being extracted out and sent over the web without his permission. And so mm. I, I think we all have to get used to this idea that any of this clever new kit that's arriving in our homes yeah. has the potential to suck data out and be sent to someone else. So um, going back to Chimney, so how far has the development gone so far? Where are you in terms of? functionality and product and uh, everything else as with all good tech startups we're two years behind where we want to be <laughs> um the and, and and you probably hear from my voice i'm an older tech startup yes. I'm, I'm i'm not a, a 25 year old living in shoreditch we we like to think we're the anti-shoreditch over in west <laughs> london we're, we're we're middle-aged middle-aged blokes in the suburbs building um a smart app for for middle-aged blokes in the suburbs yeah um but we we've well, got who our, better to do it though eh? exactly yeah. well yeah. we solve the problems that are in front of our faces don't we yeah true uh, yeah. We, we've got our prototype We've got 50, our first 50 trial users, and we're now first quarter looking to push that up to our first 1,000 trial users. Mm. Um, and we're researching the hell out of it um, in consumer research, which is great. Um, you're always difficult to hear people criticize something you spent two years building. How hard, how hard has that been, actually? One, receiving the feedback mm. and actually getting people to give you valuable and constructive feedback. Um, what's interesting... Um, Hearing the bad stuff, you know, you, you take the pain, you take the punch in the stomach when someone doesn't like that, that thing you, you've grafted over for a long time. But, but it's good feedback because it makes the thing more useful. Yep. Um, what's been interesting um, in terms of getting people to give us the feedback um, is that there's a, there's a trust issue. And partly it's driven by those those problems we, we heard, you know, the, the, the hacks and things. Mm, yeah. um, when you're dealing with... Um, people's property data it's very hard to get them to put it into that to start with yep. um, because they're very worried and, and a lot of the early users have said to us why would I give you that information um, and it's a funny comment because we thought we were building a tool by or which they you. would manage their own yeah, not, data yeah. and so we've had to change the design of this thing so it doesn't look like a website anymore it, it's more like a um, it, it looks and feels more like a Dropbox style um, yeah. tool okay. um, and, and it was a very strange conversation we had, to, we had to change the design to make it look less like a piece of media less like Facebook and more like Dropbox more like mm. a tool that, so we could say to people look this isn't us receiving your data You're, we're giving you a tool by which you can manage your own data that we never get to see yeah. and so, so there were some trust issues we had to get over to get people to give us the data then to give us the feedback yeah. I mean one example is I, I use Clearbox and Zero accounting packages and both of them use that I can take a photo of the receipt send it automatically into that and then I can do my expenses which is you know actually quite clever and everything else yeah. but I see that as me depositing my information into that particular software. And I assume yours would be very similar. It needs to feel the yeah. same. And then that and, and whilst the distinction from a tech point of view is very little, the perception point of view is really important. We we need the homeowners who are adopting chimney to believe it's a tool that's they're they're in control of and they're using, not a website that they're sending stuff up to. Because you know, I think people have, have been concerned obviously about the growth of social media. 
And a piece of social media is most definitely a piece of media that I put my info into for someone else to exploit. Um, and, and Chimney has to be very much a tool that I've been given to use to control my own data. Yeah, it's really, really interesting sort of insight into people's behavior, the way they um, think about sort of the, you know, the user interface. You know, if they associate it with a sort of social media, you know, or, or you know, just, just, and just changing that, that um, visual aspect changes people's perception yeah. of what the device is. Quite and, and funnily enough, we've had the conversation between Facebook and LinkedIn, because mm -hmm. um, Facebook feels like a piece of media. LinkedIn feels more like a tool, e although the underlying yeah. tech is actually very similar. very similar. So what do you prefer? I've got to ask you. LinkedIn. Uh, between Facebook and LinkedIn, I choose Twitter. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Every day of the week. It I, must be our I don't age. like either of them. Yeah. No, Twitter I find far easier. Yeah. Far better, really. So, so with Chimney, I'm just, I don't know you're on. Uh, Dan's getting it back on subject. Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, yeah, okay. Do you like that? Yeah. Oh, nicely done, actually. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, no one noticed either. No, 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 no until I mentioned smooth. it. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm just wondering if there's functionality there for, um, I'm just thinking residence groups or something like that. So you could have people in, you know, in flats or, or, or in. Um, uh, sort of uh, neighbourhood watch sharing particular data on, on their area is that yes and actually as part of the project um, we have our chimney communities part of the project um, we've got 15 residents associations in West London who are using chimney and we've given them a free website for their residents association um, which, so that when you log into chimney it automatically links you into the residents association Ooh. and we're running what we're, we're slightly tongue in cheekily called uh, our smart suburbs project with, with <laughs> okay. the local authority Hounslow um, and yeah. and we're looking at what what the benefits are. If you can get a series of homes who've got a digital um, app running their home, if you can link them at street level and then at, at community level, and then have that link through to the local authority, we're looking at the benefits for things like social buying of energy, um, cool, yeah. reporting, bank, yeah. yeah, reporting yeah. of changes to to rubbish and things like yeah. that. So yeah. so we're doing a lot of research on what people want to do with the information uh, around the home once they get it together. Yeah. So what about your cost model? How, how has that developed over the... The, the cost model, there's three bits to it, one of which we haven't turned on yet. Um, so the, the basic, the consumer cost model is, is it's um, what the, our American cousins call the freemium model. <laughs> the, the basic thing, you can use the Chimney app for free as a homeowner, and there's lots of functionality, which is really cool, yep. lots of fun stuff to do, which is free. And then there's some templated things if you want to sell your house or develop it. Sure. Um, you can pay a monthly fee, and there's a kind of a gold-level service, um, very similar to Dropbox on one of those. Yep. Um, there's also, um, we have a, a commercial model with house builders. Um, and so we're working with a group of house builders to, um, to roll out chimney apps as part of their giveaway. So we're particularly um, working with some very cool companies who, who are doing modular housing. Um, modular terrace housing, oh, yeah. factory yep. built. The idea being, if you buy one of these um, innovative houses, you also get an operating system with it. So for us, the, the linking of chimney to, to new housing techniques is brilliant linkage. Yeah. Um, and so we're looking to get as many house builders uh, to give away chimney apps for free as part of the new build because it means they can also give away um, those 20 documents they have to give to a new homeowner. If you if you buy a home off a, um, yeah, a new oh house God, builder, the pack is yeah, just huge. They email yeah. you 25 PDFs. Yeah. In, in yeah. our world, they just hand you the, the login to the, your new chimney app, which is already configured for their home with all the documents in place. Mm, sure. um, and the great thing for us is it brings us clusters of 1,000 users or you know, 500 users as they roll out these new estates. Yeah. So, so our initial rollout for this year, we're focusing on new home builders um, who can bring us clusters of people. Yeah, it's a great, great way to market. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more later on. Um, we'll come back to you later on in the show. But now, Dan, it is this. Ooh. 
Well, there we go. There's the music. So we have the unboxing section. The box um, has arrived. The box has arrived. We've joined in the studio by Harry and uh, James. Producer James. Producer James. <laughs> Let's see what he's produced for us this week. Let's hope it's as good as last week. You That's guys recovered like. from last week. <laughs> oh, honestly. Oh, okay, so love I've got, tech. I've got this. Um, just, just a couple of points. Please. We're on Twitter, Tech Talk Show UK. And Harry is on Periscope. So I've got Twitter in front of me open. So if you've got anything you want to ask, just whack a comment in. Okay. Now, I've got the most expensive pair of night vision goggles that you can possibly <laughs> imagine. Oh, They're my God. Yeah. Look at that look at box. The, look at this box. This is I, quite well, amazing. I said last week the 1980s wants their box back. But actually... Was that, that the 50s? That I'd say that is something out of the 50s. And I've also wrestled some b um, batteries out the bottom. No of the expense has yeah. been spared yeah. on today's unboxing <laughs> gift. Uh, now, I, can, I can imagine there's, there's like an eight-year-old crying somewhere. <laughs> I've got, I've got, <laughs> my little cousin. Uh, yeah. I've got to describe the box. There, please is, please is, please there is someone on the cover. Harry's going to put it on uh, Periscope, actually. Uh, well done, Harry. Uh, there is someone on the front of the box which looks like they've got x-rays coming out of mm. their eyes. Cyclops from Cyclops. Uh, X-Men comes Yeah, to something like that. Or yeah, And uh, it's Night Vision Goggles by Jingy Brand. Jingy Brand. Jingy well Brand. Known, that well-known. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's actually a household name, isn't it? Jingy Brand. Yeah. So uh, Dan has got uh, a pair of what, what could have perhaps be termed as Welding goggles. Yeah, yeah. Light plastic welding goggles. Light just, plastic I'm welding just goggles. how to um, put the batteries in. So he's got the instructions out. So actually, they're hey. just a piece of paper, the instructions. Um, is and there batteries in them? Uh, nope, they're the ones on the desk okay. in front of you. So uh, the battery cover screwed on. Oh, <laughs> look at that. Yes, I'll be back Producer in, a, James. in two seconds. Keep, Producer keep, James. Keep having Such an epic file. I've never worn night vision goggles before. Nigel, is it something you've done? Um, not something I admit to in public. Really. <laughs> is it on your bucket list? Um, it hadn't been till now, but actually I'm rather liking these. There is yeah. a retro 80s quality to these, which I'm, I'm, I'm slightly yeah, attracted that's to. Right. The, the lime green glass is a... <laughs> it is particularly attractive. I'm just adjusting the, um, the elasticated strap. It for wasn't. beach ball head. Yeah, is there well, a beach ball well, head? Well, it was made for a much smaller head. I'm, I'm just... Are we going to take the plastic off? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, take it off, Dan. It's reminding me of those glasses that um, the Dutch football player Edgar Davids used to wear. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They've yeah. got a green version. Yeah. They are a green Edgar version. Dab or Bono. But Bono would love these. Yes, they Bono's are Bono glasses. Bono's night vision Absolutely glasses. Absolutely yeah. correct. So James has now got his, uh, what can only be termed as Lego uh, <laughs> screwdriver kit out. And he's actually going to unscrew the cover. And he's going to put the batteries in. So, uh, it could... Oh, hang on. No. It's not going to work. It's we, we appear to be having a very low-tech moment. It is a low-tech. Yeah, yeah, very, very low-tech. Whilst we debate about Philips screwdrivers versus Posi drive. Hang yeah. on. I, um, I think they need some more narrow um, screwdrivers. Oh, um, look at He's shaking his head. Yeah, I don't think that's oh, going to do it. Yeah. It's going to be the walk of shame back to the office, James. So, yeah. Um, unfortunately, we're going to have to try and... Um, <laughs> what we're going to do is uh, we're going to go to the pre-record. That's a great idea. And then we're going to come back and see if, if James has actually... He's, he's even sweating. <laughs> he's sweating because the pressure's on. Uh, this is a, a pre-record with Sue Nelson, and she's in, in a discussion with Francois Mazudier. 
So I'm with um, Francois Mazoudier, I love that name, and uh, I'm sitting in the middle of Croydon, which is probably isn't one of the um, places where you would imagine I'm, I'm really enjoying being at, but Croydon apparently is the place to be if you're a tech person. Um, so Francois, you've got an amazing tech hub here full of tech people, lovely cafe at the front on the high street um, in Croydon. Why on earth did you set up something in Croydon? Yeah, it's not uh, it's not an easy or an, or an obvious choice. I think Croydon uh, belongs to that weird category of cities that many people have never been to and don't want to go to. I think I can name Hull, I can name Slough and Croydon. I think we're we're in that kind of category. Um, and that's even if they haven't been here, they've just got a view of it, even though they haven't been. I think it's in the ni- it's in the national psyche. There's something about these three cities that tells you, ooh, ugly, horrible badly post-modernist uh, um, uh, modernist architecture one earth would anybody live there but in fact when you go you know when you come here and start realizing it's actually a very uh, good post-modernist architecture which allows loads of stuff to be done that you cannot do in larger you know very constrained uh, city centers especially in the center of town I mean, I've just come um, from the middle of, of London. Uh, I've just caught the train. I'm here in half an hour. The station's all new, come straight out of there. Box Park have got a huge development going on. I believe that uh, Westfield's coming here too? Yes, they're, they're coming in. They're starting next year. It should be opening about 2020, you know, saying that, you, you know, it is construction and licensing and rights and all that. So I'm, I'm expecting to, yeah, 2022, to be honest. But there's a massive, it's going to be the largest Westfield in London. And Box Park is four times the size of the Shoreditch Box Park. So everything is bigger here. It, you have to come and see it. It's difficult to believe if you haven't been to Croydon, but it's going under massive regeneration or transformation more than a generation. And the key things for me for, for an up-and-coming um, um, area is food, and we've got Box Park, retail, and we've got the hugest shopping centre you're ever going to see probably in the UK, um, and you've got the transport links, and you've got an amazing building here as well. You've got space which you couldn't possibly hope to get if you were in Shoreditch, say. No, that's the one of the many benefits. So, you know, we even have a tram here. You know, nobody talks about it, and there's been a, a tram disaster a few weeks ago, so I think, you know, again, reputation is everything, and it's playing against us, but as an infrastructure, it's amazing. And what makes a tech company click and grow very quickly is that you know the magic triangle of having amazing transport infrastructure you can get to places you can get to Gatwick in under 10 minutes from here you can get to Victoria in 15 every five minutes there's the train you can go to obviously um, (coughs) the south of England in half an hour you can live in Brighton and work here whereas Brighton to central London good luck it's a complete nightmare um, you need n- number two. You need a fantastic uh, cable and internet infrastructure. We're lucky to have one of the AS points from BT under 100 meters away. So we have gigabit internet everywhere. We have fiber everywhere. We have maybe the fastest Wi-Fi. We're going to announce something soon. Having the fastest over-the-air point-to-point five gigabit, maybe 10 gigabit Ethernet line, f- quicker than fiber, if that's possible. And number three, you need to have amazing um, in- inbound investment and tech talent. And we're lucky to have all around us massive companies, governments, uh, government bodies, and very, very large companies who are desperate to innovate, who realize that some of, that East, some of the Eastern hipsters just don't produce the stuff that they need. That's a pretty controversial thing. Some uh, some of these East End his, hipsters are not are not producing stuff. It, it, just explain to me what you mean by that, because I know you you really believe in tech being real as opposed to all the um, let's say the inflated hype that there is about about startups. You you think people should just get real about it? 
I'm not here to bash these then. I think what, what has happened in the in Shoreditch and the roundabout and all, and, and all around it now has been nothing but amazing. What I see is that we're coming to the second generation of tech startups and the second generation of people moving into the area. As I'm a big fan of the first generation, the creators, the real big idea, techie, savvy entrepreneurs who built stuff. What you see now is a second generation of people coming for the glam, the glamour, you know, living on borrowed money without having a clear goal in mind. And that I despise. Also, what I really dislike about Chordish, I mean, I'm, I'm not the only one, a large community of entrepreneurs is saying the same thing. Property entrepreneurs have moved in and have turned this place into the most expensive pretty poorly served area and that's wrong you know the the, the reason why 15 years ago I, I was in Shoreditch in 1998 1999 it wasn't it wasn't great it was quite dangerous in fact but it was amazingly cheap now what's happened is you have actually a very poor infrastructure you still don't have fiber optic you know good luck if you're a tech company you have very poor transport services and yet the price has just exploded beyond Mayfair beyond Knightsbridge it's unthinkable you know, when, you, when you think about it in less than 10 years mm. a kind of crappy and cheap and cheerful area has been overtaken is now super expensive what what you know what's been uh, the direct result of that is the real entrepreneurs those that need space talent and great people to build a great company have left and therefore th they're looking you know it's called the tech diaspora you see people moving north towards north london you see them moving further east and there's more developments that way and a lot of them are now coming south to croydon indeed and that is why you set up your tech hub here because for me what's really good is you can actually live here you can buy actually buy this isn't renting you can buy somewhere for say two hundred fifty thousand pounds which is unthinkable in any other part of london i think um and and be where all the connections are where all the transport are and where all the the digital infrastructure is it's um so you know again you know the, the decision to come here was not exactly an emotional or a glam one <laughs> as you can imagine there were three things that made me move the first one is that i saw a very large city and if it was it's part of London, so it's still a borough, but it's a massive borough. Nobody realizes uh, that how big it is. So you have roughly 800 to a million people. I then looked at the number of white-collared, you know, white-collar workers, educated, uh, and I realized that the East Croydon train station every year, without counting all the extra trains from Gatwick and Gatwick Express and all that, carries 30 million journeys a year. 30 million journeys. So people living here having a job in central London, going every morning to work and coming back here. So it's roughly the size in terms of white-collar uh, uh, white workers is roughly the size of a small Birmingham. And yet there's no tech space. There's no you know, facility for developers, programmers, and entrepreneurs to be together, help each other, share the contacts, and um, raise investments. And I thought it would be ludicrous if you were to say that you know Birmingham the second city uh, has nowhere for tech people to go and yet here we are inside the M25 and such a large well-educated working uh, population has nowhere to go and build a tech business so this is what triggered my my interest in Croydon and we're in a building here it's it's huge and really really open plan it's not like any of the other tech hubs I've been to actually it's much more space uh, which, which is great and it's it's slightly friendlier somehow um, not quite so hipster I think is probably the word that you would use um, and it's right in the centre of everything um, why did you I mean you're a very successful entrepreneur and investor yourself why did you go through all this hassle to build a tech hub you know what what is the passion behind it and um, you call, you've called it tomorrow which is which is a great name 
a few things. One is because of that space. It's extremely difficult to get space. I've always wanted, so I've been on both sides of the investor table. I've been, uh, I've built or been in eight tech companies uh, for the past 25 years, and I've been in investment and helping companies raise money or sell their, 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 their business and then advise them for the past 12, working with venture capital firms and private investors. I realize that it's really difficult if you want to help a company but it's far away from you in London, given the poor transport infrastructure. It's really hard to have multiple investments or multiple companies you, you're involved with and help them. So my dream has always been one day when I grow up, I have my <laughs> own space yeah. where I can invest in companies or get investors in. I can bring amazing people. I can share my contact of network, uh, my network of contacts and then bring all of them into one single space. I didn't want the space to be focused on rent and how much money I make per square foot or per desk. I was really trying to build more of a you know, a kibbutz of sorts where people feel really at home amongst other engineers, developers, and hard workers. There's, you're not going to see many people who just are frothy and branded, brand-only specialists. We have people who are building stuff. So every signal, every note that you see here is, you know, hard concrete. It's all uh, scaffolding poles and wood. I'm really trying to make it clear that it's a place where you build business, not just glorify and glamorize that you're a tech startup. So what, so essentially what you're doing, um, in conclusion really, is, is that um, there's a whole bunch of people that are out there doing what you might call normal business. You're helping them to digitize it and get it into, you know, this new world that we have. And you're trying to get those worlds closer together as opposed to them being pulled apart. Because at the moment it does feel like there's two tracks of business going on. There's the very high-tech, younger end, and then there's the traditional businesses who, you know, it's hard graft almost uh, tangible stuff that you can see much more. Your mission is to try and make sure that the traditional businesses are actually coming alongside and you're seeing yourself as a bridge to that, it would seem. Very well explained. In fact, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to copy that. <laughs> so what, what, you, what you see at the moment, you have, you have the first generation of companies wanting to be cool. Typically it was media, broadcasting, anything that, was, that Google was destroying, trying to keep up with the trends and the millennials. And now we're entering the more mature stage of technology innovation. Pretty much every industry, we're not in tech really. Tech no longer exists because it's everywhere. It's be like saying we are in the oxygen business. They are every single industry will have CEOs trying to figure out under massive pressure from their board to asking them, what is it that you're doing to make sure that we don't get Uberized or that we get wiped out? What is it that you have? What is it that you've tried? What is it that you have in place that can guarantee us that you know, my shares in this business are, are, you know, are not going to uh, add up to nothing in 10 years? Generation one, under the huge hype and you know, in innovation trend, CEOs would hire a chief innovation officer, a chief data officer, build a team and call this and kind of an accelerator or an incubator. It was located in the same building, same office, same culture, corporate sluggishness. Most of them, we can say safely, have failed. There's a few exceptions here and there. So what you have now is you have the large groups from industries having to innovate, have tried things that don't work and realize that these are pockets of innovation where talented technology people are building solutions that fits exactly what they need in-house. It's way cheaper to buy it instead of investing in it and taking all the risk. You can bypass the venture capital and, as you know, a venture capital investment typically means you they need to return three to ten times the amount invested. 
before you know uh, the rest of the team can get anything. So it's very expensive to buy a business that has been VC-backed. A lot of the industrial companies have got cash. They're desperate to bring innovation on the inside, have limited funds. So I think the generation two of innovation is going to be industrial groups with less cash, less grand ambitions to change their industry, but wanting to keep up will start buying smaller, cheaper companies that have achieved amazing technology uh, innovation and are doing okay. And by the way, there's nothing wrong selling a business for 50 to 100 million pounds. Europe has got a history the past 25 years. An exit was between 50 and 100 million. Investors put three to five, they get 50 to 100 million, everybody's happy. It is as life-changing for an entrepreneur to get five or 10 million as it is to chase the now very difficult to do billion dollar exit and over. So I, I, you know, I always strongly recommend entrepreneurs to look at their balance sheet, look at what they can genuinely put their hand on heart and say, I think I can build this business to X and really look at whether you need a venture capitalist that only backs billion dollar exits because there's plenty of money chasing you. Well, what can I say to that? Not much, really. <laughs> the thing I would say is, if you haven't been to Croydon at all, if you haven't been to Croydon recently, you absolutely need to get on that train or get on the motorway and get here. Have a good look round. Could be a really good place for you to um, put your business or live. And uh, if you wanted to set up your business uh, in this lovely place that we're sitting in at the moment tomorrow in Croydon, where do you need to go to find out more about it? So tomorrow is tmrw.co. That's it. tmrw.co. You'll see what we do, you'll have video tours, you'll see how the, the Mayor of London has now uh, publicly stated that we are the, maybe the blueprint for the future of innovation in tech. And you know, there's loads of events, so register with us. We do an, an event series starting late January. We invite the greats of tech, those who have gone through hell and back and eventually built outstanding businesses. The first event series is going to be called Ived Up. Sorry, I'm not allowed to, to swear, but that's the title of the event series. We're, inv we're inviting a bunch of te you know, technology giants to explain at the time, nobody had advised them. So they, go, they look back 10 years or 15 years back and say, if only somebody had told me, this is, what I, this is what I would not have done. And God, they have made so many mistakes. So we're trying to learn by mistakes, which I think is, is the best thing. So you need to go on um, tomorrow.co, which is tmrw.co, and Francois Mazudier. Thank you very much. My pleasure. So it's great to hear about uh, tech hubs there, and the, particularly the Croydon Tech Hub. Um, Dan, we're going to go to the phones. We are. And, uh, yeah, and got, hi, James Hayward from Lincoln Security. James, are you there? Are you all right, guys? How's it going? Yeah, really good, James. Thank you for joining us. And I know Lincoln Security's been going since 1974. I assume yeah. you weren't employed back in 1974. <laughs> um, no, no, unfortunately not. <laughs> but... Um, the main thing is that eLock is your latest product, latest innovation. Tell us a little bit about eLock and um, what it actually does. Yeah, well, eLock came about um, from um, looking at, well, you know what it is these days. Everyone needs to innovate. Yep. Every industry and locksmithing, no different kind of thing. Uh, so eLock is an electronic master key access control uh, system. Yeah. So um, are you aware of master keys? Yeah, well... Tell me, tell me a little bit about because our listeners, you know, may not know exactly yeah. what it is. So tell us a little bit. So about a master it. key system kind of like you have different hierarchies. So one key could open every door on a site. Um, the next lower down rung will open um, certain doors, and so on and so forth. But what Eloc does is it takes away 
that uh, mechanical element and it introduces an electronic version. So you're able to program a key to open certain locks for a certain user. And with that, you, you're able to pull off auditable data. You can see what times people enter in certain rooms, what times they're um, leaving them, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, it introduces a whole new level of access control. And how long has it been in um, design? And how long has you been uh, developing so it? We've been designing that for about two, three years. It's a... Um, been a cooperative thing with the University of Lincoln recently. Right. Yeah. Uh, we approached them to look into this. They approached us and we developed eLock from there. And it's uh, only pretty much going to market like about now, really. Like last six months, we've been uh, promoting it. We've had a lot of interest and a lot of people getting on board. In fact, only yesterday um, we, we uh, managed to get a new client interested in it. They had an existing master key system. Someone had their keys stolen, mm. obviously. So they've got to revamp their whole system, the whole every door lock, everything. Right. Um, and they're looking at getting an e-lock system okay. in place now. Because with e-lock, if your keys get stolen, you can just delete people's permission from every lock. I mean... Yeah, you know, security is a big issue, isn't it? And there's certain gradings of security, isn't there? For um, yeah. So there's critical national infrastructure status. Tell us, tell us, does eLock support that as well? Uh, currently not, but it's um, it it's on route to right, get okay. that. So uh, that that just involves another level of uh, investment. Um, we've already developed it, ready to get that level of grading so that's our next step actually yeah so and, and so so if if you you know either pro so i presume that, that the keys are more like a um electronic tag or you know a token you know um how, uh, how no, no, oh right okay. they're, they're actually they're very similar to a key so it has okay. that mechanical element of a traditional key mm -hmm. so um it's got an interface that you put inside a lock mm -hmm. and then powers the lock so the lock doesn't need to be wired up or anything so it can be completely retrofitted to any existing like doors or any or padlocks or anything really yeah. and you plug in the key a little bit of electricity comes from the key to the lock mm -hmm. and that flips a motor and uh, allows you to open the door wow okay and how much how much sort of retrofitting do they because uh, you know, I understand. Sort of, you know, we normally have like a, um, you know, a, um, a cylinder or you know, a locking cylinder. Is it a, a great deal bigger than that, or you know, is it is it does it require a lot of work to retrofit, or is it fairly? Uh, no, none at all, really. I mean, if you uh, they the locks are all standard. They come in all standard sizes that um, locksmiths have been using for thousands. Well, not thousands of years, <laughs> but like for generations and generations. So it's literally just a matter of taking out the lock that you currently have mm -hmm. and putting in the new cylinder. And then the only other element, additional element you have to do is just program the lock to tell it where it sits in your system, what that lock's identity is, almost. So, so then when you're program, programming the key for each user, you can say, right, I want them to open uh, the front door at yada yada time and then the lock knows where it is it knows it's the front door for instance so how do you program the actual lock itself is there a way do you just plug it into a pc or how does that uh, work so each uh each key operates through uh nfc technology mm -hmm. 
to transfer data. So you get a software. It comes with a software program, right. um, a cloud-based one. You program um, an identity, what a lock's going to be. Program a admin key, enter that into the lock, and then that lock transfers the identity. Well, that key transfers the identity to the lock. Okay, so each lock is then programmed as you go round. It could be, right, this lock is a level 2 or a level 5 or whatever, or yeah. you, you're identifying individual rooms or individual areas um, yeah. where people can access or can't, dependent on their, their uh, role within the organisation. Yeah, That's exactly. really cost-effective, actually, because to retrofit electronic keypads everywhere is a very cost costly process, isn't it? Exactly. That that's that's um, the biggest advantage of this. You're not you're not you're not having to wire the locks up because so many existing electronic systems require um, wiring to be wired, like access control systems mm -hmm. or anything. Yeah. Also, you've got um, power issues as well. Not just it's data and power that you need. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so what we've created is a way to take that away. And it literally just a little bit of electricity from the key. And I mean, each key comes with a small battery, easily replaceable, but and uh, that works for about twenty thousand operations. So, wow, that's, that's really impressive, actually. It's, it it's great tech, actually, yeah. isn't it? It's, no, no, it's, it's clever. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the advantage as well, like um, you can also use it for padlocks. So um, you don't need to be like in a building. You can have this controlled anywhere remotely so yeah so is it a sp specifically designed range of padlocks i assume pardon it's a specifically designed range of padlocks that you've developed uh nope same again retrofitable so you can just take out the existing um mechanism yep. in a padlock and replace it with the e-lock um connection okay that sounds really good so uh where's in i assume you've got a website uh, is that uh, yes. right, James? Yeah, Where's, where can people yes. get data on that information? Uh, so they can go to, head over to elocksecurity.com, and mm, eloc right. is E-L-O-Q. Okay. Uh, alternatively, if they go to lincolnsecurity.co.uk, they can follow the links through from there. Yeah, okay. That's fantastic. I was just, just one question I was wondering. So, so I can see that it's, you know, use in, in, in large areas where you need access control and, and things like that, but is there a, a can you see a, um, a domestic use for it? Um, we we have looked at it slightly. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's it's not been designed with domestic use in mind, mm. but there's no reason why not, why it isn't possible to use it as domestic mm. tool as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm on your website at the moment. Actually, really great website. It's uh, really easy to navigate. Ah, well, modern technology. <laughs> no, I want to find out who your website designer is. Actually, I'm going to look at the bottom. Let's see who it is. <laughs> it's ourselves, believe it. Is or it not. really? Yeah. Well, you know, we've uh, we hire the software developers, so the software behind Elock has all been done in house. Okay. And obviously, hey, if you've got software developers who know how to design stuff, they can easily knock a website together. Can't yeah, they, they so. can. No, it's really good. I like the way it. Uh, you can. Yeah, you can go through, and uh, and the keys look amazing. There's quite a lot yeah. of tech in that one key, isn't there? Yeah, so that's uh, most likely the mobile key that you're looking on um, the website as well. So that, that has the ability to act almost like a phone. So that's not only just a key, it's also a phone built into it. 
pretty much. So you can link into the system, you can provide job notes, uh, system updates. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, that's, that's part of the wonderfulness of it because it uh, links to an online software. It's got NFC technology. We're also developing a mobile app to run alongside it as well. So, yeah. I think Nigel, uh, yeah. our other guest who's in the studio, is going to come in. Nigel. I'm quite interested in the potential for the residential market because there's 26 million homes out there all running um, locks with keys that could have been made in the Middle Ages. Um, and it's very yeah. interesting culturally that we go to work and we're all used to using passes at, at work, electronic passes, but that culture hasn't yet gone back into the home. Um, and I think yeah. that in the next 10 years, we're going to see keys like this um, slow, move into the residential market because we want to be able to control locks in different ways. We want to be able to let the, the Amazon man into the porch at a certain time when we're not at home and things. So we, yeah. uh, very slowly, we're seeing people want more intelligence from their locks. Um, so it's a great time to be launching this product. Yeah, no, yeah, I think no, it's, no. It, it's it's true. Like there's there's been recent launches of uh, home locks actually that you can control on your phone, and you you don't even have a key nowadays. You can just literally just tap your phone on the door frame. You can open it remotely. You can grant accesses um, all the time. So there's there's a lot of home tech out there that's um, yeah. really jumping into modern technology, modern Internet of Things as well. So. Yeah. So other than the security categorization, where not where next for eLock? What's your next area of development? Uh, so we're, develop we're, we're going to expand on our mobile accessibility because um, with the mobile key and a mobile app that works alongside it, um, our next phase is actually the hardening, improving... Um, the certification behind the product yeah, to no, go great. into these higher-end markets. Yeah. Well, a great website, and actually I think that's great innovation. So thank you, James, for joining us. And just so people know, it's eloq, E-L-O-Q, security, all one word, dot com. So thanks, yep. James. No worries. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thanks, thank James. you. Bye-bye. Bye -bye. Well, Dan, it is now time for this again. <laughs> Well, so on the instructions, Dan, it said it does say um, under battery safety information does say only adults should install or replace batteries. So James and Harry, they had no you chance. shouldn't have been playing with the batteries. Yeah, we struggled there. You did Sorry, struggle. mate, I Sorry, didn't yeah. have your mic up. So saying so about our combined age is uh, it's not that old, is it? Yeah. So, so yeah, but, but we the interesting had thing, got Will, it, the interesting thing was once we put the batteries in. Was yeah. it worth it? Uh, well, I have to say, <laughs> Nigel, Nigel uh, demonstrated very nicely the actual glasses. He was on, I think we tweeted the picture, have we? Harry will. Harry is periscoping, periscoping again so, now, so uh, it'd be good to get another Dan is now, shot of Dan. Dan is now going to pop the uh, rather lack of expensive glasses on. <laughs> So he looks actually like Bono. Uh, I think we could say that, really. <laughs> okay. And uh, we're in total darkness in the studio now. And Dan is going to go to night vision. Night vision, Dan. <laughs> and basically, Dan is wearing uh, a pair of glasses with two lights bolted to the one each yeah, side. They're, um, they're not yeah, exactly blue light. Blue light. It's not really lenses. night vision, is it? N no. No, I no. Think it's the Bono in a mineshaft look. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. Which might be the best place for him. Yeah, <laughs> you look almost like some sort of, you know, the sort of alien space, the Martian type thing. It's, yeah, it really is not night vision, is it? 
No. <laughs> no. It's so and rubbish. And they're really uncomfortable to wear as well. Yeah, they really hurt, don't yeah. they? Nigel, do you, are you going to have another, another wear of the... Uh, um, I, I think I've probably had my excitement today. I'm not sure my, my poor heart can live with another view of night yeah. vision through the blue so, torches of the future here. So basically, Harry is now periscoping through the... Uh, <laughs> uh, and I, I really can't call them night vision glasses. No. James? Well, a- apparently, according to the, the spec... Um, Do you need your night vision glasses to read <laughs> I that can't read dark? what I've got in front of me, yeah. Harry, um, we need to give him the night vision glasses. James, get them on now. Well, apparently... You can see up to 25 feet in the dark with them. Um, really? Yeah, with a torch, you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think head torches is the description. Yeah, I, funny enough, vision. I've got a head torch that allows yeah. me to see slightly further than that. So, Should go on. Don't show off, Steve. Um, yeah, so it's, it's green-tinted lens green with tinted etched lens. graphics that glow when the lights are on. It that is a better it, description, I'd say. It doesn't really, though, does it? A- adjustable elastic bands for a comfortable fit. <laughs> uh, I love this bit. Protect children's eyes when they are playing with toy pistol bullets, fireworks, etc. Okay, so, so they safety rated. <laughs> yeah, if you've got your kids playing with fireworks. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would just, just to put on the, and the instructions I've got Should here. Should we put the light back on? Yeah. Caution, this is not a safety protective device. So, <laughs> but it says you can use them. <laughs> Slightly hypocritical. Um, it's got a soft nose pad, which I found quite useful there. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to make any comments <laughs> about that, James, whatsoever. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the LED lights never, lead, never need replacing. Obviously, the batteries do. Um, if you can yeah if you've got a screwdriver to hand um, yeah that's about it that's all they're selling it with I think someone in China is sitting there making massive overclaims about a product <laughs> yeah. as they're shipping hundreds of these boxes rubbing their it. hands together yeah I now, don't think they're military grade are they not quite no, <laughs> no um, it's not going to help you in a night night attack in the Iraq war is it <laughs> or so should we um, should we have a guess how much they are Oh God! Um, so <laughs> I really have no idea. <laughs> well, I so dread to think, Dan. Go on. I think there's probably a disconnect between how much you would pay for them and how much they cost. Um, I would. <laughs> um, I think they're probably about ten pounds. I yeah, Nigel. What would you pay? I, I was for thinking that? between ten and twenty range, and even I'd, I'd be embarrassed to have to pay twenty for them. And, and <laughs> Do you know what? Performance. It's something I think I'd get in a cracker at Christmas. So <laughs> I'm going to say four ninety nine. Okay. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it is actually twelve ninety nine. So is that the discount price or that? <laughs> it wasn't actually discounted. Now I think that is the the full price. You didn't shop around. No, <laughs> oh compare my God. the market. <laughs> that, that was the price quoted to the to the Ministry of Defence when they bought fifty yeah, thousand for the army. A, in fact, yeah, there's a there's a little market there, isn't it? Get on the uh, get on the uh, government and the MOD procurement website. Um, yeah, I'm just lost. I'm lost are, for yeah, words. Yeah. It's far worse than I ever could have hoped <laughs> looking at the box. <laughs> back um, in the box. So, um, yes, so does it rock or is it back in the box? Well, for me, it's not just back in the box, but I think we should stamp on the box as well. <laughs> Dan? Um, it should have drone delivery back to whence it came. Yes. Mm. Nigel? Um, back in the box for me. Yeah. yeah. James? Back in the box. Definitely. Harry? Back in the box. Oh, yeah. it is absolute Full rubbish. House. Absolute yeah. rubbish. Anyway, thanks, guys, for bringing such a great... <laughs> Unboxing. You're welcome. That was yeah. good, Dan, wasn't it? Yeah, let, maybe we should have a set of screwdrivers in the studio. Yeah. 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 So, Nigel, we were talking a little bit off air about uh, Chimney and how you're going forward. Tell us a little bit about the eco build and how you're trying to link your product in with that. What's happening? Yeah, I think if you look at 
the home market at the moment, we were assailed as homeowners by people around us doing innovation things. And, and one, of, one of the drumbeats that we're hearing is obviously the move to kind of eco um, products and services around our home. Yeah. Um, we're all being exhorted to use less energy and, yeah. and also use our homes to generate energy. Yeah, smart metering coming everywhere. Smart metering, um, smart, uh, smarter devices around the home. And I, one of the challenges that we're trying to solve for the homeowner is that if you, if you play this game, and if you kind of throw yourself into it half, uh, full-heartedly, you end up with about 27 different apps on your phone, um, all inconsistent, mm. um, all requiring separate logins, um, all with all um, capturing their own data. Um, and it's very hard for a homeowner to kind of take control of this. So one of the things we're doing in Chimney is putting um, uh, a dashboard in the middle of it um, where you can have all of your um, accounts brought together into a single uh, management dashboard. Um, and and we're, we're looking at things like the... the um, home energy platform so we've got an energy uh, meter being built yeah over time you'll be able to look go into our app and say show me 10 houses like mine in the local area and see how much it costs them uh, to run their house you won't be able to see private details you won't be able to tell me you know show me that house and tell me how much mm. but you'll be able to see an average um of how much a home like yours costs to run and, and compare yourself to it and, and we'll move into then things like group buying um, yeah. of energy um, packages. But we, it's very hard for the homeowner to move into this world without control of the data. So for us, step one is, is how put, much you're using, yeah, when put, you're using it as well. Exactly. Put the homeowner into a position where at least they're getting access to the data that's being generated about their house and then give them control of that data and then let them use that data. But yeah. we have to go very slowly along those steps. Yeah, but it's definitely an area for you to develop. Yep. Yeah, great. Well, it's been lovely talking to you. Harry, what's going on? A little bit of uh, social media before we finish. Yeah, I appreciate we haven't got too much time, but Sensor Provider and Evo offers internet connection for bins for in cities in Finland. So, right. for example, there are tweeting bins now. For example, I am 26% full. My current internal temperature is 24 degrees. Is it, are we talking about James or a bin? <laughs> <laughs> bins, uh, bins. Same thing, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I expect to be full on Wednesday. This is uh, your bins tweeting. So they'll be watching the unboxing next time. Yeah. Ca- case in point, th- you don't have a separate app on, your app on your phone for your bin. Just go to your chimney log and, the, and it will all be managed from there. <laughs> and also, <laughs> Another plug. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, definitely. And also, you'll know, actually, then you can link that into what you're charged to collect your bin. Yeah. yeah. What I don't want is my bin examining what's in there. Yeah, you know, questioning the 25 bottles of Merlot that has been <laughs> through it. <laughs> yeah, that was the trouble with those blue boxes because yeah. everybody could see in, see what you had. It's yeah. when you start linking health apps to your bin app and, and the bin is starting to pass data to your health app to point out what's been going through the bin. Yeah. Well, they already know how many bottles of Merlot you buy a week because that's all recorded on your loyalty card. That's true. So, yeah, <laughs> of some sort or another. So, yeah. It's frightening, Dan, isn't it? I'm, I'm quite live in a constant state of fear. Really? No. Your bin would say a lot about <laughs> no, you, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, Harry, what would your bin say about you? Great guy, probably. <laughs> <laughs> just like everyone else. Yeah. James, what would it say about you? Uh, he's never full, just like his bin. <laughs> <laughs> I've never known somebody eat so much in my life. Ginsters yeah. pasties yeah. every day. Every day. <laughs> Honestly, Nigel, we you went to heal. a show the other month. If James went for longer than an hour without food entering his body, he could not function. He went weak, didn't he? He did. Yeah, Yeah, weak at the knees. (laughs) Anyway, great show. Nigel, just tell us where Chimney, is it Chimney.com? It's Chimney.com and it's C-H-I-M-N-I, Chimney.com. Great. Thank you for joining us, everybody, and we'll see you next week. See you next week.